Hello, Madame et Monsieur, Madame et Monsieur, bonjour. Uh, it's Jake. It's me, Jake. Time for the podcast. All right, all right, all right, all right. That was a good time. It's the beginning. It's the beginning of the podcast. It's me. You knew that. Uh, I think this is episode uh, 134. And so that's a lot of episodes in my mind. And this week's guest is a guest who's been on before, author Christopher Moore. Um, but it's a little bit different this time. First of all, let me just say thank you to everyone who came out to the Punchline in San Francisco last weekend. It was a great time. It was a terrific weekend after uh, my final Letterman appearance. This was the gig that we plugged on that show. When I say we, who am I talking about? Dave. Dave plugged it, but I was there, and me and a team of people who I ask what to do ahead of time said, you should plug that punchline gig. So along with my new special pictures of my dinner, which you can get on my website, jakethis.com, that's also where you can find out about all the other places I'm going to be in case you want to come and see me. So guess what? It looks like May 9th, I'll be at the Hollywood Improv on Melrose Avenue. Uh, May 14 to 16, I'll be at the Comedy Castle in Detroit, Michigan. May 21 to 24, I'll be at Washington, D.C. June 5 through 7, I'll be in New York City at Gotham Comedy Club, one of my favorites. And then the end of June, the 22nd to the 28th, and maybe a show on the 30th, I'll be at the Soho Theater in London, England. That's London, England, everybody. So uh, get your ticket, visit my website. You can do all those things. We can be together. It's easier than you think now more than ever. Uh, this week's guest, as I mentioned, is a guest who's been on before, author Christopher Moore. He lives in San Francisco, so I always see him when I'm up there to work at the Punchline. And I wasn't going to ask him to be on the podcast this time because I felt like, geez, the last two times I was up there, he was nice enough to be on the podcast. And I don't want him to feel like, look, it's fun for us to hang out, but I need you to be on my show, too. Um, when it's really not, it's I want him to be on this show because he's awesome. Um, anyway, you can go to his website and check out his books as if you don't know who Christopher Moore is. But uh, his new book, The Serpent of Venice, is out. When I say that's his new book, it actually came out last year. And he has a book coming out this year. And that book is a sequel to his book, A Dirty Job. And it's called Secondhand Souls, and that's coming out in August. So you can check his website, ChristopherMoore.com, to check out about that. Check out his other books. The first one I read was maybe his most famous book called uh, Lamb. But I've read many of his other books, including Dirty Job, You Suck, A Love Story, um, uh, Bite Me. I've read The Stupidest Angel you're going to enjoy his books. They're very funny. He's very funny, but he wanted to have a serious conversation with me. He said, look, I want to ask you about your last Letterman, what it was like to be on Letterman all those years. And this is the end of a big thing. And I feel like your fans want to know about that. And I didn't want to say to him, look, I don't, I think my fans already know about all the things there is to know. They want to find out about other people besides me, but maybe he's right. And uh, I don't want to hurt his feelings. I don't want to hurt your feelings. I want us all to get what we want eventually you know and unless it's murdery if you're into some murdery stuff uh, I'm sorry but I hope that you you don't get that I hope you don't get what you want but if you like to laugh and have a good time and enjoy other people's company and uh, and just be nice well then I then I hope it all happens for you anyway my conversation with uh, Christopher Moore where he asks me questions about myself is coming up so if that's something you're interested in don't stop listening now in fact crank it up a little bit but watch your step I don't want you to fall down I don't want you to get hurt I want you to have a healthy lunch unless you did that yesterday in which case have some cheese today all right here we go
Okay. You, you have to inter- introduce me. <laughs> I have to introduce you? Yeah, because it's your podcast. They know who you are. It is my show. I usually do that. Okay. My guest. Hello, everyone. It's me, Jake. It's, it's Jake. Jake. It's, yeah, it's the Jake. Jake. It's, well, you're not on yet, officially. Okay. It's, it, this is the Jake. This, Sorry. You know what this is, because I've already told you a little bit. But my guest this week on the podcast is my friend, author, Christopher Moore, and his guest is me. That was your idea. That's my idea. Okay. So we're doing, this week, this episode is your idea. Yeah. Of, of, of doing episode. a, co- and I don't, and I'm highly unskilled, so I don't, you know, you have to take it easy on me, but because they're your fans, the listeners are Jake fans, I can kind of fuck this up a little bit and it'll be fine. I'll try and carry, I'll try and carry it. Yeah. yeah. I don't know that this is a kind of a thing that can always be saved. The, really? my podcast but really? we're let's we can't we there's right. no, if we're trying to save it now we're in trouble so what's tell explain explain the idea. what i want to do what i want to talk to you about is that you just did your 46th appearance on letterman yes in three and a half months and which is like almost 40, one every day 40, um no 46th appearance in 28 years I knew I would so not get all the numbers. Yeah, I knew that, I would yeah. not get all the numbers yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, so we, yeah, okay, this wasn't that great an idea. Um, all right, so I just want to know: uh, Are you sad? You know, Letterman's going to go off the air at the end of this year, and that. So this is probably the last one you're going to do. Are you sad? This is the last one. I am sad. I am sad because that's been such a big part of my um, life, really, since since I started going on the show and. That, so the, my first appearance on the show was in 19, July of 1987, and I had been doing comedy for, at that time, around you know five and a half years, so that was very quick right. to get on Letterman at that time, and even now, for a comic to get on that quickly after starting. Right. And, so, and then, that, people had cable TV, but not everyone had cable TV, no. and the network, you know... There was the Tonight Show, and there was Letterman, and then after that, of course, there was Johnny Arsenio was still Hall around. Show, but Johnny was yeah. still all around. Did you ever do Johnny? I did. I did his show though after Dave's show. They didn't. I had auditioned for the Tonight Show, and then Jim McCauley, who was the uh, guy, the talent coordinator, mm-hmm. they called it for the Tonight mm-hmm. Show at the time, the guy who was in charge of booking you on the Tonight Show, and uh, he had come out and seen me a few times, and his feeling was well. Jake seems nervous, and I'm, he, he was afraid that I, that would make Johnny nervous. And my manager was trying to say, well, that's, that's his act. His yeah. <laughs> act is he looks a little nervous, and he kind of stammers. But he's not really nervous. Mm-hmm. And Jim was like, well, no, if he's, I'm, I don't want Johnny to be nervous. Right. That it, Jake's not going to do a great job right. on the show. So he was hesitant. So I did the Letterman show actually for a, a, several times over a couple of years before Johnny had me on in 89. So what was the, that you were doing – Regular stand-up in San Francisco then? Yeah, I started here in, in San Francisco, where we are now. And then um, I met, I got a manager, and they, they were also Dave's manager at the time. Mm-hmm. And so, but that didn't, you, they took, couldn't just get me on the show. Dave's not the kind of guy who's just going to put you on the show because you have the same manager. They, but they were able to get the talent coordinator for Letterman, who was at the time Robert Morton, who went on to produce the show. Mm-hmm. But he, he came out and uh, saw me in a club. And I, and I also worked with Dennis Miller in Sacramento. And Dennis was, Dennis, that was right, I met Dennis right before he got on Saturday Night Live. Right. And he was a big fan and advocate and helper of me early in my hmm. career. And so he had moved to New York to uh, to do Saturday Night Live, and I was coming out to New York to audition for the Letterman Show for Robert Morton, and Dennis let me sleep on his floor of wow. his apartment, <laughs> you know, because that was where I was. That's, I mean, it's funny now because he's a giant star and I'm successful, but at that point in my career, it was like, yeah, I will, t- I will sleep on your floor in New York City. I, I can't <laughs> afford a hotel. That's just, it was. A so, do you offer. remember the, the the call? Do you remember what, how you felt when you first found out you were going to be on Letterman? Um, well, sort of my manager was the person who called me and said, yeah, that's, this is going to happen now. But uh, and I, it's a little bit blurry. 
Robert Morton had already seen me in San Francisco. They had come out here for a showcase. And so he was familiar with me. And then I got my manager. And then he saw me then under that. And I can't remember uh, if he saw me once or twice more. And then approved me for the show. Okay. And so you're going to go. I was super excited. And you're going to. It was what every young comic wanted to do was to be on that show and your set was three minutes seven minutes what at the time as i remember you know and i have this on tape somewhere it's i think it was six minutes six minutes so in that five and your and your act you you had what they i guess call concert level act at that time you had what 40 minutes of concert oh oh like a headline they would call it a headline i was headlining Comedy clubs, which so, traditionally is a forty-five minute. Set. So you had, you had forty-five minutes of material, and you had to pick the best six clean minutes, right? Mm, yeah. Do yeah. you remember mentally what that? Did you just know from this is the stuff that kills in the clubs, and I'll do that, and it doesn't talk about boning or anything? Yeah. Well, I didn't have. I wasn't a talk about boning guy then. I, I definitely did the joke. I, I I'm pretty sure I did the joke about being from Iowa. And it took a long time to realize we were free to go. (laughs) And uh, I did, I remember being in New York and going out. This is after I've been booked on the show and they have my set. But I was in New York and it was raining. And uh, there was a commercial for this dog food on at the time. And and I thought, you know, the funny thing about New York City is in the rain, it makes its own gravy. Which is a great joke. And so I decided, I I just had that idea the night before I was going to do the show. And I thought, well, I'm going to do that. And that was a joke that then Dave really made a point of liking. And, and he kind of even repeated it in a, in a show that I wasn't on after mm-hmm. that. So that was sort of a sweet moment. Um, but I'd have to watch again to remember exactly what I did on the show. And I don't think it was, for me, the idea was, we're well, going to be going on again. You know, you're going to try, I'm going to do as much of right. my material on television. My act is pretty clean and was pretty clean. And right. I could do almost all of it. So what's, what? In, rather than cherry pick little bits of things, in, in other words, take a thirty second joke out of a thing that's three minutes long and then lose three right. minutes. My thing was to take that three minutes and maybe cut a little fat out of it, so you still have two minutes left. Right. And so I think when I was picking my material, I haven't really prepared for this episode of the podcast. I would have watched it, but I didn't know we were going to do this until just before. Yeah, now. just when we were so, at lunch. So, but I, I think I, I think I told a story about having a fight with my girlfriend where I cut the inside of my nose with a razor if i didn't do that the first time i did it within one of the first few times that i was on the show and uh, my bits are a little bit longer so i would try and pick one that was really working in the nightclubs and then you know right then once once you've got the thing that's two minutes long or three minutes long then you need something else that's a minute long and another thing that's a minute long to to you know because you want to it's like a mini version of your comedy club headliner set you want to have an opening right that gets a hold of the crowd, and then you want to do your act for your the meaty part of your the six. Right. Now it's four minutes that you do on the show, but, right? And then and then you want to have a closing laugh. You want to have a joke at the right. end that's like makes sense. Like yes, well now we're and then all satisfied. Paul can I'll play see you, you next off. Time. Yeah. yeah. Now did you uh, did you ever do the couch after you after you did your set? I did in the old days. So that that when I was on the first time in eighty seven, that was in. Uh, that was on his NBC late night show. Right. And uh, in those days, I would, from time to time, after my comedy set, mm-hmm. go over and sit in the chair and talk to him, depending on if there was time left in the show. Right. So that then they were having the comics on at the end of the show then. And then in when he moved to the Ed Sullivan Theater at, and CBS, he, they started to do the comedy spot next to last, and they would have a band on at the right. end of the show. And so there wasn't, they didn't know if there was going to be slack right, it wasn't course. the end of the show. So there was no more. So no more couch time. Down. So I so, did have some couch time. So the couch time, did you, uh, did Dave lead you into bits or did you just chat or how was that? Well, they would, you know, just as when you're going on the show, they go over pretty much, mm-hmm. pretty detailed fashion, what you're going to do. Dave doesn't know exactly what you're going to do, but someone on the show knows what you're going right. to do so that. They've approved whether or not and it's okay no to say these things, and, yeah. and you're not mentioning a brand name and diarrhea in the same sense, right. and that kind of stuff. So, as with that, then they would say, "Well, there's a chance that you might get to go sit down. So, what what are a couple of things that you would talk about? You know, because like he he doesn't. Everybody sort of thinks, well, why doesn't he just talk to me? I think a lot of Hollywood movie stars think, oh, I don't have to go 
I don't have to do a pre-interview. I don't have to tell the guy. We'll just talk. You know, mm-hmm. I'm famous. He's famous. We'll have a conversation. Right. And it's like Dave doesn't know whether or not you got a little dog. So if you got a story about your new little dog that's funny, you should tell us, and then we'll ask you about that. And so right. the standard that you're held to as a comedian is a little bit higher than, hey, i got a new dog, and here's, right. a, here's right. a quaint little story. That he wants to know what's a little two-minute bit that you can make seem conversational right. and tell while you're sitting down. Right. And so... And and comedians place a big emphasis on if you get to go sit down and do panel, they talk, that's right. the jargon of you get to do panel, sit with right. Dave and have a conversation. Yeah. That's, that's Comedians think that's the best thing that you want to do. But audience members, I get people coming up to me all the time and saying, you know, we want, we want, we like to see you come on and do stand up. even though, you know, when I would go on Conan, I would go and sit and right. do panel and I was doing material, but the, but people who are watching the show, like, just like, you don't need to pretend that you're talking to that guy, just go out and do your stand up. And so I kind of feel like it, it's, it's interesting that comedians have this idea of what, what's the most prestigious thing to do that's different right. than what audience members want and think is right. the best, right. you know, they want to see. And Jerry Seinfeld, when he came back after his show, mm-hmm. would sometimes go on Dave, and instead of just going straight to sit down, he would do a set. Right. You know, because that's what people, audiences, they want to they see you do your thing. Right. You know? Yeah, that's why, you're, that's why you're there, because you're good at that. Right. And yeah. even though it is the same thing when you're sitting down, it's, it's a little bit fish in a barrel, because that con- illusion of conversationality right. that you have with stand-up is now, you're you actually are pretending to have a conversation with an, another person that the audience is watching. Is there uh you've done a lot of different shows. Is there a level of skill of the host that you, I mean, I'm, I, I'm well, asking these questions. Dave, David Letterman and Johnny Carson are the best. I mean, right. and, and Dave's skill, I mean, Johnny's thing was always to make the guests look good. Is that what I've heard right. and read? And that's the way it seemed when I was on the show. And Dave's thing is is to make sure the show is good right you know so he's there for you to support you and ask you the thing that will help you to tell the best story but if your story doesn't work he's got a joke that he can put right. on top of it and if you save both of you yeah. and you know get you yeah. out of it and yeah. so the when you talk about somebody who's a bad uh, not as good of a host you know it's we're not talking talking about that it's more like you go on morning radio and the guy he 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 can barely ask you, like, what do you want me to lead you right. into? And you go, well, I, our, right. our, we took a vacation and we went whale watching. And then he'll go, so you like whales? And then you're supposed to tell it. And then he's off busy looking at the commercials he's going to play. Doesn't He's half listening to you right. and stepping on your punchlines. You know, you tell him a setup to something. And then he goes, oh, well, that's interesting. I bet that was tough. And it's right. like, no, well, that's not where I was going with And you got to try and get back to your story. So those are the problems. That and it's happen. pretty it's pretty tough, don't you find, when you're you're doing stuff, not only with somebody who's a prompter puppet, which is what I call those people who who if they're not reading it, they're hoes. They're just well because useless. you do you have so you have this experience also. Not to take the focus off of me for a second, but you're coming from this point of view of you're an author, you go on a book tour, you're doing interviews. They want to ask you about the book. You're kind of telling them right. some some areas that would be good or someone is telling right yeah i'm taking and and i'm taking what it took me a year and a half to write and and i distilled to 400 pages and now i've got to tell it in three minutes um but my experience and i'm i'm sort of asking because i think that nobody expects me to be funny but I, do, I think everybody must expect you to be well. I, like the ra- radio so people funny. don't because they're booked by pr people and it's just like can you put this guy on his book is about you know, Toulouse Lautrec or whatever I happen to be writing about that month. And then, you know, most of the time, and I'm okay with this, the the hosts have not read my books and they don't know that I'm, I can't, I have the ability to be funny. And, and when you don't have an audience, there's nothing to tell them. And so, I, you know, I'll sort of, Oh, so you're talking about you're on a talk show where, the, yes, where, where, that's what, where that's there's what no audience and, the, and, the, and they, they don't do the, you know, a polite host will laugh even if it's not funny because that's what he was supposed to do. But if you've got somebody who's, not, who's just loading carts or, you know, queuing mm-hmm. up commercials and stuff like that, and then you say the line that's funny that you say, in my case, I've been doing it, you know, I've done it 15 nights in a row and I know this is where everybody laughs and I say it and I got nothing. I got nothing. And I so I for you that's like 
kiss of death. For me, it's like, oh, he's an author. He wasn't, you know, our expectations are low. But then there's also the idea that people are listening and they might get that this guy is not getting it. So I always try and do that if I'm on a morning radio thing or a a Mm. noon, pre-noon TV interview where the hosts are a little bit robotic and, you know, they're, they're... their whole job is all day long to bring on someone right. who is trying to get you to go to their restaurant or right. buy their book or whatever. Right. It's their their show is sort of a vehicle for promoting right. something that someone is selling, and they're just robots of ah, yeah, yeah. I just I just sort of talk to them, but also right. feel like pretend that they there's someone in the audience watching who knows the pain that I'm in, and I'm doing jokes that though only they right. can get. I now, but by the time you're on Letterman, it's cream of the crop. That's not going to be a problem. Well, and also, when I go on Letterman, as different to um, when everybody else who's not a comedian goes on Letterman or a right. band goes on Letterman, when, when comedians go on Letterman to do stand-up comedy, when bands go on to play their song, they're actually doing the entertaining thing that, they I mean, do. here here's an here's a little tiny sample of what I do. When you come and see me at the comedy club, the right. thing that Dave's telling you to do, this is that. I'm actually doing that. Right. You know, whereas everybody else is coming on saying, "No, this is me being a person and I want you to go, you know, watch the movie that I did where right. I'm not going to be acting a scene from that movie now." Right. You know, they show a clip and they talk about it, but you know, we're comedians and musicians are actually doing the thing. Right. That you like. Now, when you're when you're in the green room and you're in the green room with uh, a whole variety of people of different talents and, and stuff, is any is that weird? Is it or, you know, what's going on in there? Well, the green room on the first Dave show, the NBC right. late night show was like a clubhouse was like a, and it was big. And so you could be in there with the other guests and whatever size right. entourage they had. You could all be in there, and you could watch the show on a couple of monitors, and it was right. You would walk from there out a door, and then you were on the show. And then when you were done right. with the show, you would walk back in that room. So it was sort of like it was sort of it was a, a, like a sci-fi time machine space travel thing. Right. Like we're all we're watching the show, and then we're on the show, and then we're back in the room with people who right. are watching the show. And so you would do your set and then walk back in the green room, and people would clap, and you know, you would have a conversation with... Uh, Cindy Crawford was in there one night just hanging out because she knew somebody else on the show, and I'm talking to her, and I didn't know who she was. She's wearing a baseball hat and jeans, and I'm talking to her, and I'm thinking, man, this girl is pretty. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, were, did like you ever like look up and attractive. go, like, I'm... This is I'm in the room. I'm standing next to Carol Channing or anything like. Did you have any like that legendary thing? I mean, Cindy Crawford is. I'm not disparaging that at all. Well, but then what? Then what happened was when they went to CBS in the Ed Sullivan Theater. Mm-hmm. That was a theater, and then the dressing rooms were all up stacked and kind of a beside the theater. And so you'd go upstairs and you go in the little room that your was your dressing room, and then the actual green room was a little vestibule room. Right, it was about at the size of just this little table area. Right my hotel room so right. there's not enough room for even the other guests and one friend right. to be in there so there wasn't that camaraderie and people you know you would come out and i knew now by the end some of the backstage people so they would sometimes say nice job right. or whatever but it right. wasn't the same so you would meet as i'm going on i would meet the person i'm just in the shoot to go on stage and they're coming right. through the shoot coming off and so I would see them then. And so Sean Connery, I got to meet backstage. That was pretty great. I was on the sh- I was on the show with Julia Roberts, but I didn't really get to meet her. I had, I mean, I sort of, you know, very much in passing, right. Sir um, Anthony Hopkins. Uh huh. Right. That's the Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, so yeah, I'm yeah. Saying the name right. Yeah. Hannibal. Lecter. He was pretty great because I was very excited to meet him. And the talent coordinator at the time made a point of, you know. St- said let me take you over he's really awesome and you know i've heard i've heard other famous people be described this way of like he knows that he's him and Mm -hmm. he knows what it means to you to be meeting him Mm -hmm. and he offers up this little mini experience for you to really have a moment he's good at being anthony he's gracious he's friendly 
he accepts your compliment to him in a way that makes you feel like he really heard it and, and it meant something mm-hmm. to him. And he says something nice back to you about good luck or see you in the future or I'll watch mm-hmm. your thing later. Or, you know, it was just lovely. So satisfying. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And there, there's a few celebrities like that that I've met. But that that was that was a good experience. I was on NBC one time with Sharon Stone. And uh, this was when Total Recall came out. And my uh, my friend at the time, who was the talent coordinator, said, you know, she actually knows who you are. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, because being a comedian, you don't. Right, right. She's super hot actress. And she knows who I am. And and uh, I, I was doing the Dave, Dave show. And then I was performing for a week at a club in New York City. And we get down to the club. And, you know, right. this guy is, you know. He's we were really good friends, Frank and I, but he's kind of firing me up. He goes, I know what hotel she's at. So just call the hotel. It's not like an invasion of her privacy. It's the same hotel you're at. So just call up the hotel and invite her down to Caroline's to come see the show. And I did. But she wasn't able to uh, she wasn't able to attend. Well, OK, well, that I'm, I'm, it's not I'm a, sad it, about that story. It was, yeah, it was it, I could have been married to. Uh, to a, a great uh, hot actress, yeah. Or uh, well, I think maybe that's carrying it a bit far. But she might have come out to a show, and maybe yeah. we could have had a glass of wine. And you could have told after. that story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you could have told that. That's, that would have been a much more satisfying story. Yeah. No, the Anthony Hopkins thing. My wife waited on him once, and oh, yeah? ha- and had the same sort of status. He was lovely, you know. He was just and if, to the waitress, and that's where you, you know that's where the rubber meets the road, right there, my friend. Is, you know, if, yeah, if, if you're nice you, to waitresses. Yeah, and, and well, you'd, I, I, you know, have always heard this. Is this is what girls are supposed to do to judge single guys? Is that if, if they're nice to the server, they're probably a decent human being. And oh, if, if you're on a date. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, the idea that if that this celebrity is decent to the server, they're probably a, they're either they're you know one of the they're a decent person at some level because even if they're just good at being Anthony Hopkins they're really good at being Anthony Hopkins uh-huh. and there's enough empathy to understand that like you said that's a big deal for them yes you know yes. so that's a anyway I don't want to go down that rat hole I just thought that <sighs> sorry it's always nice to receive a phone call yeah. oh it's Sharon Stone no it's uh, not it's, it's some other probably someone who wants me to put solar panels on my house I get a lot of those phone calls now oh okay yeah. yeah. Maybe Sharon Stone wants you to put. It could be. I don't yeah. think there's a way that she could possibly be listening to this now because this is pre-recorded. But uh, that would be awesome. Though. If later on yeah. I find out that yeah. that was her calling, she's like, "This is the almost Mrs. Jake Johansson." Yeah, yeah I can't believe that you mm-hmm. went off with that other one. She married uh, that super rich guy instead. Well, <laughs> okay. Well, you know what? It, but he was his foot was eaten by a Komodo dragon. Was that the guy? That's the guy. Oh man, that's that's like the most awesome. And it wasn't story. really eaten though. It, he got bit and then it got infected, and they had to cut it off, right? Or I don't know if they had to cut it off, but a komodo dragon is basically the only venomous animal that doesn't really have venom. The bacteria in their mouth is yeah, so deadly that it kills. That they depend on it to kill goats and whatever it is that they, they just hunt in the wild when there's not uh-huh. newspaper moguls. But yeah, what well, he took his cowboy boots off. So he had white socks, and I guess that they feed the Komodo dragon white rats, and he was like, lunch. No brainer. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway, I, I, have, I have nothing but, but kind thoughts towards Sharon Stone and her footless ex-husband, but that shit is funny. Well, um, it's a real lesson to all of us, and I, and I mean, I think it's, it's easy to make cheap jokes uh, in a situation like this, but I feel like I can definitely count myself among the people who would not have known how to behave around a Komodo dragon. I mean, I don't think I would have taken my shoes off, but I, I, I've never right. I've never been around a deadly reptile. I shouldn't say that. Alligator's a deadly reptile, and I've been around them. And did you have some urge to take your shoes off? No. Yeah, see, that's what I, I think that it was a character flaw. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like, dude, you're really thinking too much about your shoes. In hindsight, it's obvious that it was yeah, a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. If you, why did you come to the zoo in shoes you couldn't wear in the Komodo dragon pen? Right. It was some kind of benefit thing. Yeah. Wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, anyway, you know, poor Sharon. Um, yeah, she's had it. <laughs> she's had it tough. <laughs> yeah. It's like, anyway, I. People can't see that I've just done that giant leg cross here in my office chair as, as we're doing this interview that she does in Basic Instinct. I haven't really. That's, right, I got you. I just, I, yeah, I we're just confused. Pre- this is the theater of radio. Um, so 
the last was it last week you did Letterman for the last time? Uh, it was a. I think now it's been a week and a half or two. Right. So, it, two so weeks. was it tearful? Did you? Did you? Tear I was up really or? choked up about it because, uh, you know, it was such a big deal to get on the show in the first place, and then to be back at least once a year, every year for all that time, and some years twice uh, or three times. I think a couple of years um, to have to to have him be leaving and that not be a part of my life and all of our lives. It was a big emotional like. I can't believe that this is ending. I can't believe that something that's been this big in the world that I've been a part of, a small part of, and something that's been this big in my life is, you know, right. to do something for 28 years, you right, know, yeah. is a, I, I don't feel old enough to have done something for 28 years. Right. And so this undeniable fact that I have done that, 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 that he's retiring and I'm, I've put in my years of, like Biff, the, guy, the stage right, manager right, yeah. from the show. Yeah. He and I are friends. You know, we had a hug at yeah. the show. To 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 have that be winding down. I mean, this is it's it would be the closest thing I think that I'll ever experience in my career in my life to that retirement dinner kind of feeling that people have when they get given a watch. Yeah. And thanks yeah. for all their years did of service. Get, I'm did, not retiring. He's retiring. Did but, you get a moment with Dave? Yeah. Well, he. He was. He gave me a very kind introduction, uh, where he plugged my special. He plugged my website. He he uh, mentioned my gig this week in San Francisco. Then when he came over, he said, "Congratulations, happy forty sixth appearance." You know, ha- you know, don't forget he's at the Punchline. That's a great club in San Francisco. Which is, you know, this being where I started, that was also a nice right. um, kind of closure thing to be on the show mm-hmm. and then about to go back to the city where I started my career. Right. I mean, not that this is the end of my career at all. It's, this is him retiring. It's his no. thing. But my little experience of, of that relationship, it's, you know, I, I my association with that show has just brought me so much respect from audience members and other comedians and family. You know, it, it, it was... Mm-hmm. It, it was the kind of stamp of like this no bullshit this guy is a quality comedian that's kind of why i wanted to do yeah. this because yeah. i think that that you needed to say this to an audience and and it's going to totally bum your show out if you do it <laughs> in a club but well you can't i can't i couldn't say that i mean i don't know that people are interested you, in no, hearing you, that it, but but that I but that is the truth that, that, yeah. and i wish that uh, you know, I wish that there was uh, that the universe was infinite, and in some alternate corner of the universe, I could have Dave at a banquet of all of my friends and fellow comedians mm. and family and people that I know, and just have him sit there while <laughs> I tell him how awesome he is and what it meant to me to be associated with that show all these years. But you know, that's that's you know that's what just thinking about that that kind of fantasy concept of really. The idea of me being able to even express to him what my involvement with his show meant was uh, a little overwhelming to me, and so mm-hmm. yeah, it was a big it was a big deal. Yeah. And I and I did I I feel like I did say to him that I loved him and and how grateful I was, and I feel like he was very kind to me on the show. And obviously, he's he's dealing with all these tiny goodbyes and enormous gratitudes from everyone. But I, I get it. I get the sense, and, and nothing like what you do because I'm just a fan. But I get the sense that he's that guy that gets that. I mean, he he was a stand-up waiting to get on Johnny at one point. Yeah, he's so he's so kind of uh, humble, to my knowledge of Dave. Mm-hmm. You know, not that we're friends, but I mean, I I think he's so always wants to deflect compliments and mm. reflect back that it's whatever good you got is from him. Yeah. But, it, you know, I mean, he came over and thanked me for ha- how all the entertainment over the years at the end of the mm. show. That's that's who Dave is. So yeah. I, I, I'm 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 not sure that it, how, how could he be open to the overwhelming kind of way? It would be like trying to drink out of a fire hose for him mm. to try and absorb all of the gratitude yeah but i but i don't think that he's oblivious either i think that you know he knows it's out there he yeah knows it's out there. yeah 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 and i and i but i uh, no i'm glad we did this because this is that's what i i thought that was something that 
I saw your tweet last week, and you said my last appearance, uh, taking off to my last appearance on the on the Letterman show. So many feelings, and I was like, that's not going to be enough. Uh, I'm well, gonna, I was I'm having need feelings, more. and I was worried when I got on. I really thought about what I was going to say at the beginning of my set to express my feelings and how I could do that, and then be able to still do be funny, yeah. some funny jokes and be on the show. And I really thought about it a lot, so as not to emotionally kind of hmm. get break down yeah. with with all yeah. that, those feelings and then having done it and have it was a very satisfying experience that i felt like my set went very well i could not have been happier with just the overall feeling and sensation of seeing everybody for the last time on the show and and having the my performance be well received by the audience and well received by dave and shaking paul's hand and you know, saying goodbye to Will Lee and we'll see you in the future, you know, mm-hmm. that all of that stuff. It was such a nice night that and then people were tweeting and retweeting and saying they were gonna watch or saying they did mm-hmm. watch and they enjoyed it and, and just all of that. It was it was a very you don't get that many opportunities in your life to really um look forward to something and then have it have the reality of it be that satisfying satisfying, yeah and 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 i felt like i was available to kind of enjoy it at the time at the Mm -hmm. time it was happening i could i felt good you were in it that's great not to over like no no that's like it's 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 flattering to me that you wanted to have this conversation and now as i'm telling you this i'm like no 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 i think for one thing everybody that's listening to this is a fan of jake johansson and they they and and when we've done when we've had our annual lunch then you've come and talked to me about my stupid shit. And, and that's really what nobody cares about. But this is something that I, as a fan, starting as a fan, you know, before we became friends, I wanted to know and I figured other people wanted to know. And, mm-hmm. and some stuff, you know, and, and, and only seeing you once a year for a couple hours, I was, you know, some other stuff has happened, too, in the world. You know, I, one of the things that, that touched me is when Robin died, what Dave said about Robin. And mm-hmm. that told you so much about him. And, and, uh, and it was, it was moving, you know, mm-hmm. and and uh, and so you know this this is sort of like you know, you, I just felt like there needed to be a process after you know a a debriefing after well, you know, a, yeah. a big life mo- moment like that because it it was obvious you know that that uh, and it's obvious to me I mean I sort of have been there. You know, not seeing every as I should have, but I haven't seen all forty six. And I, but I, no, but I, I, <laughs> no one I has. remember when I have, but no I, one else. But has. I remember when Letterman was on during the day on NBC, and he brought a farmer from Iowa, I think, called Floyd Styles to New York, and he was doing a, a weekday show at like ten in the morning, and Paul mm-hmm. was there. And he brought. I used guy. to watch that show when I was in college. That yeah, Dave's morning used, show, and he brought mm-hmm. this guy Floyd Styles from Iowa who is like a corn farmer, which I guess is just what you do. And the guy showed up and, and was on, you know, the Letterman, and he had his overalls and stuff on, and, and, he, and he was just in tears. And there were big signs and banners with Floyd Styles Day and Floyd Styles. Yeah, Stiles. yeah, yeah, and it I was, remember that. And no, it yeah. was just, and that was so much what Dave was, was taking a, a normal guy who was just a guy and and doing something like that, you know, because he seemed to remember what it was to just be a guy, or still thought mm-hmm. of himself as just mm-hmm. a guy. <coughs> and I, you know, and I think you're just a guy, but you just yeah. have to be really good at this well, thing that you right. Do. And that's what he did to me. He yeah. brought me to New York. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I had Jake Johansson Day. Yeah. It's what it felt like every time I did the show. That it was going to New York for Jake Johansson Day. It was just such, <laughs> it was just such a, um, you know, you go you. You prep for it, and you right. send them the material that you're going to do, and you have a conversation about it, and then you book the flight, and then you fly to New York, and then you check into the hotel, and then you know you go and run your set the night before and have dinner with your friend and wake up and kind of try and stay calm and then go do yeah. the taping and then go out and have a celebratory dinner. And oftentimes the show would air that same night at the beginning, and so right. I'd stay up until 12.30 and go to a bar and watch it. And nice. So we had a place for a while for a few years where we would go and they would turn the sound on and whoever was in the bar you know then you'd have a little another oh nice victory celebration until one time one time we went down there the bar was called finelli and it's down in soho and the guy it was the same guy it was the bartender who knew me but he was like it's too crowded i can't turn the sound on on the tv to watch your letter Mm. right now it's like really 
You think you made it. You think you're famous. No, It's you no longer what? Jake Day in New York. We, we can't yeah. turn the music yeah. off and watch your Letterman. That's so sad. Sorry. Yeah. I was thinking about that when we were having lunch today, and there was the kid that was sitting next to us, and I and the, he was grinning, the little, the the little, little kid, like, yeah. toddler, and I went, hey, kid, that's a Letterman bit. He used to do that like 30 years ago, where uh-huh. he would go, now just something for the kids, and he'd look into the camera and he'd go, hey, kids. And I'm, here I am like 28 oh, years later. I don't later. remember that. Yeah, one, yeah, well, it was, I mean, that's how obscure and how, how much of a thief I am. But I just like, that's just part of my life now. Mm-hmm. It's just like I've dated women who do that and they don't know that that was a Letterman thing because it's so much part of what I do. You know, like, uh-huh. hey, kid. <laughs> the look on your face right now while you're doing it is a little crazier than I think yeah, the look sorry. that you gave the kid. Yeah, yeah I probably yeah. frightened him a little bit. But yeah. that's what it's about. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, sometimes love is scary. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. This is a night of a thousand heroes for me. I um <laughs> I don't know what that means. Uh, so so now next year you're going to be waiting for the call, you know. Well, you know because I realized that it's over. There's not going to be a call next year for Letterman show. So I don't know I don't know what I'll do. You know, it's funny because in all in in the last 10 years these late night TV short TV talk show comedian appearances are are not as much of a thing to promote right. your career or even your your one time gig that they're not the same as they used to be. You know, I mean, it would almost it would if you could make a little you might you might be better off one it might be better off to just make a five minute comedy special that they release on YouTube and dispense for free. Right. You know. Right. But uh, and hope it goes viral. Well, know. you know, it's nowadays the w- it's always been get famous, get notoriety, and then sell tickets to your comedy club. Shows. Right, that's always been the way comedy works. And it used to be, you get on the Letterman show, you're famous, you're going to sell out the comedy club. Right, you get on, you get an HBO special, you're famous, you're going to sell out the comedy club. But now, there's Comedy Central specials, there's HBO, there's Showtime specials. Your special can be on Netflix. You can download it for five dollars on the internet. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to sell out the comedy club, but maybe that's going to catch, or maybe you're going to be writing twenty tweet joke, joke Twitter jokes a day, right. and you're going to get so many people following you on Twitter that they can't wait to come to the comedy. Or maybe there's people now who are getting deals for TV shows because they they're a star on Vine. They're making seven second videos, and they're getting TV show deals, mm. or the or they're headlining comedy clubs because. Because they're successful on YouTube or whatever, Twitter or yeah. YouTube or yeah, yeah. yeah. I uh, I was going to ask you about that. I remember when or other shows. You know, the show that that has really um, helped a lot of comics uh, sell tickets on the road. You know, because p- people knew them from that show. The show that's that's the biggest one of those things in the last you know ten, five ten years is uh, Chelsea Show, Chelsea Handler's show. Right, but that's over now. That's that stopped. But well, Chelsea uh, lately was well. In, now, that, now they've got at midnight, which yeah, is at midnight is supposed to be good. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's blowing up comics in terms of ticket sales the way it used to, but or the way other shows have. But uh, but it's certainly a great showcase for comics. When I watch well, that y- show, yeah, you it's create. Very I mean, they actually write material on the show for you know to yes. to cue, which I thought uh, that's what I find interesting. Is like okay, because it's always been oh, it's great that you can work material and come up with the material, but to be able to work, m- come up with material right now, that's sort of an inane. Well, inane Chris, talent. let me tell you the dirty secret. Yeah, they. You know they know what the topics are, and they oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. they write you jokes and you write jokes ahead of time, and so it is it is similar to the way the panel works on the show is the okay. thing comes up and you buzz in and then you tell your joke. You've you ruined yeah. it for me. I hope I didn't ruin it, you but did. I just want everyone okay, to realize. Okay, I don't realize. watch it. I just I just thought that it was a, a it's a showcase that's built right into it's, social network. It's pretty network. great. It's pretty yeah. great for comedians and social yeah. network connections and all that. I, w- I was going to ask you when when you started in Letterman, and I had heard this from from the comedians from the generation before you. I remember Robert Klein talking about doing TV, and and even some of the guys even before him that. One of the problems with doing TV for them at that time is that, you know, if you were a Borscht Belt comic, you know, and you had your 45 minutes, you could do that 45 minutes for 30 years and not change a joke. And they would do TV and then they couldn't do that material anymore, they felt. 
and and I I didn't. Did you ever feel like you were burning material when you were doing TV? Well, I certainly felt that way at the beginning. Like, oh, if I if I did this on Letterman and then I go to the club this week to right. the place that he mentioned, I shouldn't do those jokes. But that's how I used to feel. I think nowadays, you know, there's a small portion of the people in the audience who saw that Letterman. And they're going to be fine with you doing those jokes. And, in fact, they came because you did those jokes on Letterman. So now they're seeing him again. It's only four minutes out of the 50 minutes that I'm going to be on stage. Yeah. Um, so so they don't mind. But I think nowadays, you definitely, if you make a comedy special or, you, you know, you need to turn over your right. act. And in those days, that was a throwback to vaudeville where a guy would get right. 20 minutes and that would be his whole career. Right. But uh, the reality is, when I started, yeah, there were some comics who had a killer 45, 50-minute show, and they just never changed it. They just went out and killed with it. But eventually, it would wear off, because enough of the audience were repeat, right. you know, fans that, that they had seen it, not just twice, Once or twice, yeah. Four times, and they were like, look, I can't, I don't, it's not as funny to me. Even though he's as funny when he delivers it, it just is not the same. Well, and then you have, I would guess... You have your greatest hits. I mean, you if people, if if you took requests, there would be people that go, "I want to hear the Compass Juice," or "I want to hear, yeah, yeah, you know, and the I, guy I, on a pole with a with a, <laughs> peeling his face off." Kind but of. But I wouldn't be able to do that really because because I had I would have to go back and watch a bunch of old videos to be able to even remember those. Right. Because I'm kind of progressing forward. No, I would tell you. I would out. go, you Jake. Would no, you used yeah. to do this thing, and I could, I I'll do it for you. Well, maybe that's <laughs> going to be the. We'll do some kind of in conversation roadshow tour where um, <laughs> we'll talk a little while, and then you'll request something, and I'll get up from the table, and we'll turn the lights off of the table, and I'll do my little version of the joke, right? And then I'll come and sit back down, and we'll talk for a little while longer, yeah. and okay, yeah. Someone from the audience will stand up and say, "I remember a thing." Yeah, I, I remember when you would do the compass joke, joke, yeah. uh, compass juice know. joke. I, this is you don't remember be, the I compass joke? I do, but I don't think this is going to be as good of a night out. As no, I'm, I'm not. You, it was your idea. It was a stupid idea. Was it my was, idea? Yeah, you just. Oh, came, I just was saying that I think that there are people that would want to know. They would. Oh, it was my to idea do, to do the show, but it was your idea to do requests. That I said that if you did request, people would want to hear that. And what I was leading up to is something that we have talked about a little bit earlier is that there are comedians who are most of them seem to be at a level where they're trying to break in, but they're they're writing a lot of jokes for Twitter. Uh-huh. And it seems to me that, and then there's a, and there's a lot of, um, I guess competition would be the words, but there's a lot of sort of possessiveness about I wrote this joke on Twitter and you stole it and you know and, and oh that, I haven't I'm not aware of that you're not aware that of that there's on? a lot of yeah a lot of I'm mad because you stole my Twitter joke and you know you need to boycott or block you know so and so because they're a Twitter joke stealer I well and, I have heard of people like taking oh you're this person's feed is they're repeating other people's jokes right, as if right. they were their own. I, I guess I have heard of that. I didn't realize it was a big thing. Well, I, it's Twitter. Nothing is a big thing. I'm just, I'm, I'm simply saying that it, it seems to me that that, like, if I try and write something for Twitter, it's because it won't fit in a book. You know, if I, if I come up with a, something that's about the latest shenanigans that Ted Cruz came up with in the Senate, um, it's not going to fit in the book I'm writing about even, 13th century Greece. You know? But even if you wrote a joke about 13th century Greece that would fit into Twitter and then put it in your book, it wouldn't. If people came up to you and said, "Look, I can't believe that there are 10 sentences in this book of how many thousands of sentences that I've already right. read," I would have to say, "Look, maybe you need to stop looking at Twitter." You know, I mean, come on. I, I just okay. I feel like some of that some of that kind of criticism about like what i owe you as a fan it, when it gets down to that look i do turn my act over but if i said a joke on twitter that was 140 characters and then i went on stage and i did five minutes of talking which is you know a lot more than 140 characters. yeah it's it's a thousand words yeah if, then then that's not like something that you saw it's something that you kind of suspected might happen right and so it's you're an insider you're not, i didn't you right. didn't get your okay. whole night ruined okay that's what that's okay. what i'm saying hypothetical okay. so person. you're not so you well, don't think it burns material i don't think so okay i don't think so and i think that those twitter the twitter joke jokes that people do on twitter kind of aren't really jokes that work as well 
verbally. No, they're they're but they you know it, people who work within that format. It's like it, if you're really good at haiku, then your haiku will be good. And there are people who work in that 140 characters, mm-hmm. and it's like mm-hmm. you're good at this. This shit is you know you got the, you did the setup and the punchline and everything. Mm-hmm. In 140 characters, that's a, a sort of a skill that I, I agree with you. I don't think it's really – it doesn't translate much to what I do. Um, and I write stuff down. I mean, my stuff has to be in a written form. But but I, I admire I, – I, I recognize that there's a certain – Who's your favorite tweeter? Humor-wise? Uh, Just – who comes to mind? Off the top of my head? Um a little bit putting it on on the spot because well i'm I, trying to I, think I, of I who because i i mean if somebody makes me laugh that's a big deal um mm-hmm. and, and i there's a woman out of boston named i, I think her name's sherry vanderiff and mm-hmm. and she works her material you can tell that this isn't a first draft when it hits and, mm-hmm. and her stuff cracks me up just for being bizarre and and sort of re- she'll reference like Camus or something and do this really it'll go from being Camus to like a snot joke in one in 140 characters and i'm like that's that takes some skill you know well boy and then i've gotten to the point now where i'm following too many people so when i just dip in and look at my feed uh, a lot of yeah. times i'm not getting access to some of my favorites i've got i i've got to figure out a way to or, or make a list of people who are like mm-hmm. i need to go go in and just look at all of your tweets for the yeah, last couple of yeah. days or it's, Well, and it's not, you know, and the, you, you sort of don't want to give it more credit than it has, but but I think there are people that have have chops, and, I, and I, as I've told you, I follow a lot of funny women because that's a point of view that doesn't naturally occur to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have to construct it for and characters. And it's not creepy. You're not being creepy. I'm, it's a little creepy, <laughs> but, but um, I'm okay with that because mm-hmm. uh, I love my wife. Uh, but... <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I mean, my, yeah. I love my wife. Your, yeah. yeah. Your wife yeah. is awesome. She's, but I'm not, yeah, she, I, yeah, I, I understand. I knew what you meant. But, yeah, so, uh, but, you know, so that, so I have that sampling too. And, and as you pointed out, which I didn't know, a lot of those people are writing comedy. They're working on shows and a staff. Some of the, be- and you can see that there's skill there. I mean. Uh, well, that's what know. I wonder sometimes is like, how do they have the time to be, I, I do know that you can schedule tweets. So you could sit down and have your Twitter work done in two hours yeah. and then schedule 10 to come out later in the day. You could do that. But I think some of those people are comedy writers or they're working at a place where they're on the computer all the time and they've got their Twitter brain kind of operating in the yeah. background while they're doing everything else that they're doing. Well, and I th- I, people all the time refer to their draft file, which I don't have. I mean, if I thought it up, you saw it. Or I decided you shouldn't see it. Or... I put it out there and people exploded because it was politically incorrect or something, and I took it down, um, mm-hmm. which happens more. You've than deleted like. some tweets. Oh yeah, all the time, all the time. Oh, that's a good that's a good book concept. The deleted tweets. <laughs> no, I, I mean, Chan- I'd like to read Dick Cheney's deleted tweets. I, no, I mean it's just stuff that I I think I mis I misjudged what I thought was. Uh, Politically incorrect. A couple mm-hmm. of times. I mean, a lot of times I delete tweets because I just don't think they're interesting to anybody. They're like answers to people's questions, and I, I take it out of the feed because it's like, you don't really need to know what I want, f- what I had for breakfast, but this person asked, and I thought I should answer them. But I'm talking about where I've written a joke, and I think it's a turtle joke, and someone else thinks it's taking the dignity away from some group of people, and I'm like, oh, I thought it was about turtles. I better delete that because clearly mm-hmm. – the perception of this is is different, which happened to me. Really, I did a a turtle joke. A and turtle you were joke. Yeah, I, I wrote one away. time. I, I wrote. I've decided to live. I'm, now you can your audience can be outraged because I'll tell you what the original. I just I was reading the thing about Bruce Jenner, mm-hmm. and I and and the headline was Bruce Jenner decides to live his life as a woman, and I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. But then I thought, what. That's kind of cool. You get to make that decision, and I put I've decided to live my life as a woman, and I was like, no, I've decided to live my life as a turtle. Please put some crunchy flies in my bowl, and that was my joke. And it, not that funny, I know. A but, complete s- s- surreal. Yeah, I just thought. Silly joke. Yeah, what if you just decided to? It was about being in a mm-hmm. turtle, and if I was a turtle, it would be nice to have some of those crunchy mm-hmm. flies to eat. You know, cause, yeah. which is in turtle food. But what happened? And people went. Nuts! You shouldn't make fun of people, and, 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 and it's 
And it's sometimes you're not making fun of a person; you're making a silly but joke. The thing but I that do you get can't, the thing that you can't do on Twitter is explain yourself, right? And you can't develop a, and shield your concept with kind of sortas and maybes and all this. And people love to get angry about, yeah, and offended on the behalf of people who aren't there. It's righteous like, look, indignation. I feel is, like, is, yeah, yeah, but you can't if you're a transgender person who's upset. I, I'm interested. To hear what you have to say, but if you're a person who's just yeah. ad, a person who's mad on behalf of the hypothetical transgender person yeah. who's going to be offended by your silly "live my life as a turtle" joke, then I kind of feel like yeah. maybe just maybe just take some breaths and think about whether or not this is the best use of your, you know, picking up the banner and fighting for what's right in the world. Yeah, Energy. but but for me, the best thing to do was just delete it. And when people kept coming at me, mm-hmm. I just blocked them. <laughs> it was like, you know, that's unpleasant. Yeah, you know, it's unpleasant. You're yelling at me, and I'm I don't want to hear it anymore. And and then they would get you know start new handles and come around the corner as somebody else and yell at me. And I'm like, that's why you're you know? really better off with just fake followers. You know, because yeah. fake fl- fake followers yeah. never come back you yeah. at you with indignation. Gaga does not have to put up with that shit. You know, because her people are constructed. They're, the little monsters. Yeah, Lady Gaga. Well, all of her followers are. Yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But, but anyway, so yeah, that's happened. And then this week, I, I somebody was kind of really torqued off because the news was talking about finding antidepressants in the pilot. The the a plane just went down in the Alps, and the pilot was had been treated yes. for depression. And so I heard was that like story. the news is making a big deal about him being on antidepressants. And, and you know, if you take antidepressants, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to crash a plane. And I'm like, you know, and I sort of was like in that, you know, and I was like, you might not want to tuck that into your bosom. Because the thing that's going on here is not he took antidepressants. It's that he crashed a plane into a mountain, you know, a, cra- a plane full of people into a mountain. And I'm not getting the sense, and I watch too much cable news, that everybody's going, you know... A equals B. If you take antidepressants, you're going to crash a plane full of people into a mountain. I didn't see that connection, and I've been treated for depression. So I felt right. like I can talk about this. Mm-hmm. But it was I was suddenly, again, the bad guy. I was all, all of a sudden the bad guy because I had said, I'm not sure that that's really what, where you want to go. And I think this is a murder investigation, and it's sort of his mental state is sort of an important thing, you know. But I was a bad guy, you know. I still am not positive what you're trying to describe to me, but I. Oh, you do, you don't know about? I the know p- the story, and I do. I get that. Okay, our goal is to find a way that suicidally depressed people don't are airplanes. not flying airplanes. That's that's what we want to do, right? And so the question is, how do we identify suicidally depressed people? And I feel like if well, anyone who's on antidepressants cannot fly a plane. That's you've you've ruled out a lot of people who probably are better at flying better to be flying planes than people who are not i mean you now you're creating an incentive for a suicidally depressed person to not take antidepressants if they're a pilot and that's a much more dangerous situation well and i you know what and and i have to say that even the people who were critical of me they didn't have the best format for making their point because they were also constrained to 140 characters yeah, it's a and good place. Twitter's a good place to get angry, but it's not a good place to, to get unangry. Yeah, it's not a good place to 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 be clear, and I don't mean in the Scientology way. I mean, in, or the right immersed in glass so nobody can see you way. But um, yeah, it. it but it, it was you know, I wasn't disparaging people who have been treated for antidepressant or been on antidepressants, and I I am one. I was just saying, you know, I think this is relevant that, that they know this because, you know, we, for one, we know that they always hit whatever they know that day is going to be the story of the day. And you're going to hear it a lot because they have to repeat every 20 minutes. Right. Well, you yeah, know? you got to stop watching the news, people. Yeah. You've got to stop watching the news. Yeah. I mean, and it, it was and, and my thing was how bummed out the CNN people were because they knew right away where the plane was and who and who crashed it. You know, so they were like, oh, <laughs> shit, what are we going to talk about? What do you mean, about? we can find it? Oh. Yeah, fuck. Uh, so. Well, this all actually kind of, it's interesting, because I'm trying to circle in and bring this Back show to, in for a landing, yeah. metaphorically. 
So this all started because you saw a tweet about me doing my last Letterman appearance and the feelings that I had. And so you wanted me to expound on that more. I did. Because there wasn't enough information on Twitter. Well, well synopsized. So now in, 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 in the interest of fair play to people who only expect this to be an hour long. (laughs) Let's wrap. Do you this feel up. like we do? You feel like we did it? Or do yeah, you have, is yeah, there and I, you want I yeah, ask and me I or? want to apologize in advance for having gone off on my own little thing. No, I enjoyed it. I feel like that's podcasts. I mean, you've listened to my yeah. podcast. Yeah. You've listened to other podcasts. Yeah. It's sort of this isn't a, a show like in the sense of a show where it's all worked out ahead of time. This is a show in the sense of yeah. we had an idea of what we were going to start off to try and do, and then I feel like we did. that. I think you did. I think, and I yeah. And, and then we went. Then we did a little bit of extra and credit I, talking. And I, yeah, I I heard what I wanted to hear. But so thank you for and t- t- what is your Twitter handle, Christopher Moore, the author, author guy at the author guy at the author guy. You yeah. s- we still have to say at, yeah. Even though if that's anybody who knows about Twitter, you, you don't need to say at. But but it's the author guy. It's at the author guy. Just yeah. like when I say my website is jakethis.com, I just say I don't say like Dave said www.jakethis.com. You don't have to say the W is in the dot. You can just say jakethis.com, right? Yeah. What's your website? Chris Moore. Just Chris, not Christopher. Yeah. I thought it would be easier to write when I bought. I mean, all of them were available when I got my mm-hmm. my domain site, but Chris Moore seemed like the least amount of letters. Who has the authorguy.com? Actually, the guy who used to make my t-shirts, who oh, bailed, who went off to be a Hawaiian you folk gotta singer. you got to get that from him now. I know. I can't find him. He's out playing opening for jack johnson well yeah okay listeners if you're in hawaii see if you can find this guy yeah he's actually kind of awesome on the guitar and singing what's his name i don't know he's at the author com. yeah go to the author com <laughs> and ask when the customer service area go hey i'm curious about your gigs what are they coming up yeah i forget his name which is because whenever anybody was mad about merchandising uh-huh. i would I would protect him, you know, so I didn't say what his name was. So now I blanked it out. Wow. But, yeah. It was very effective what you did, the trick you did on yourself. <laughs> it's a dark spot now. I hope that the trick you did on me just now has been equally effective to the listeners. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you to everybody. All right. I think it's totally time for you to have a beer if you'd like to go for it. I take this. Well, listen. What a good time. Thank you, Christopher Moore. Christopher Moore for coming on my podcast. Thank you, listeners, for listening to the listenation of the podcast. Hey, you should go to theauthorguy.com because you can get some awesome merch there. I, I, Chris doesn't get any of the profits. He gives it all to uh, MS Research, but... Uh, if you want a t-shirt that says I'm poor and my cat is huge or blessed are the dumb fucks, Jesus looking up at heaven, um, those are available. You can uh, you can get those on his website um, along with some other awesome shirts that are less sacrilegious and profane and some that are more. Ah, just what you wanted. Hey, thanks for listening and don't forget to not give up. There'll be plenty of time to give up later. Hang in there. If you're depressed, take your medicine, unless you don't have any medicine, and then then just take some deep, deep breaths and drink plenty of water. You know, it's not right until your pee is clear. That's what they say. That's what I've heard. You're not drinking enough water until your pee is clear. So that's a nice little tidbit. That's free, by the way. That's free of charge. Thanks for listening. See you next time.
into the machine. 